Let me tell you what I believe. I believe there's a hero in all of us. There's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch. Luminous beings, so not this crude matter. Death is just another path, one that we almost take. Somewhere out there, you, you have another father, too, who gave you another name. And he sent you here for a reason, Clark. You don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything. Not everything. Not yet. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Directed by God. This is the podcast where we look at films through the lens of the Bible, through the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm joined by Nathan today. Hello. Nathan, say hello. Thank you. We're missing a guy today. Normally, there's three. There's only two guys in the fire today. Uh, third of you include Jesus. But <laughs> Reagan's gone. He is on. He's on a trip. He's out hiking. And I didn't even tell him we were doing this. So this will just be... He'll find out when it gets <laughs> uploaded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or when I tell him to edit it. <laughs> yeah. Even better. <laughs> the movie that we're talking about, I watched it, and Nathan's a fan. Mutual friend we watched it with is a fan. And we were just thinking, this, this could be good to cover. Nathan, why don't you tell us the movie that we're covering today? So today we're covering <laughs> Knives Out. <laughs> Detective Blank. You said the investigation is ongoing. You made a point of that. Do you suspect foul play? Mr. Blanc, if you please. There is much that remains unclear, but yes, I suspect foul play. So, Knives Out is a mystery, whodunit thriller, kind of in the vein of an Agatha Christie novel. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty tongue-in-cheek and funny. I would even go so far as to say that it's kind of a comedy, but it has... Oh, definitely, definitely. ...this murder mystery that's happening, and once again, just like Perot is the detective for Agatha Christie, the Ryan Johnson mystery verse, our detective is Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc, mm -hmm. and he has been summoned to figure out what's going on. And this is directed by Ryan Johnson. I believe he wrote it as well. Oh, definitely. Um, There's no way he didn't write this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, known for directing things like Star Wars The Last Jedi, Looper, Looper Brick. Brick. Yep, Knives Out. He made this after The Last Jedi. And it was... It's kind of cool to go from a big, expensive franchise movie like that to this creative, almost little personal project. I was really struck by that. But um, yeah, it's a comedy murder mystery with an ensemble cast. And the story's all about uh, a patriarch dies. And this character you're talking about. This is Benoit Blanc. Wait a minute. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. The last of the gentleman's sleuths. <laughs> you're famous. He suspects foul play. So it's just all about money and family bickering and that that's what's going on it's 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 a pretty cool story what is your history with this film so i saw it 
in theaters at least once, and I really enjoyed it. I didn't know quite what to expect, but mm-hmm. this kind of movie just doesn't come out anymore. Mm-hmm. We've had Kenneth Branagh's two Agatha Christie adaptations, Death on the Nile, Murder of the Orient, but both of those are adaptations mm-hmm. of previously written books. Here we have an original, and it just took me by surprise how good it really was. I saw Last Jedi, and I liked that, so I figured... Um, if he's writing and directing a new original project with my favorite James Bond, then that was something that I needed to see. Definitely. Liked Definitely. it a lot. And then I showed my wife later, and she's a nurse, as I'll talk about later. And like the hero <laughs> of this movie is a nurse, and it's key to solving the mystery as well. Yeah. So just everyone that I saw it with, it was kind of a come-together movie. of After his divisive last movie, this one was just original and fun and creative. Right. We talked on our Top Gun podcast that original creative films are kind of hard to come by and mm-hmm. to see something that was just new and interesting was was a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways yes yes definitely i only watched this movie i think because you and our mutual friend like it so much because i i don't like ryan johnson i don't <laughs> like his movies i don't like any of his movies but i did like knives out i i did really enjoy this movie it was very creative and the writing and it was just so fast and funny uh, the mix of murder mystery. I mean, I would say it's a comedy, really. I would say it's primarily a comedy and a murder mystery second. Because it's so, you know, it doesn't play it's anything straight. It's a, it's kind of deconstructing the murder mystery. I don't, I don't know a lot about that genre, but even I could see that he's twisting the genre in this movie. So oh, yeah. I would almost say it's more of a comedy first. But the dialogue's great. The cast is great. It's, it's just a fun, well-made film with a lot of with some cool camera work and just a zany, fast energy that I really liked. So, uh, and watching, you know, I just, I was struck by some of the themes, you know. So there's a lot about the inheritance, and you know, they say the, the word inheritance 30 times in the movie, but very biblical concept, and um, the notion of, you know, the last, the last will be first, that's in this movie, and. I was I was struck by all these things, and I went, oh, there's there's you know Ryan Johnson, there's things going on in that weird shaped head of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems to me like he came from a Christian background, and then maybe began to question it as he got older. It seems like it's in his framework based on this movie. You've got the, you know the, the patriarch, the father giving an inheritance, and the so-called rightful heirs are squabbling over it, and they don't get it. So yeah, there's. I mean, there, there's some really there's some rich biblical themes and ideas there. Absolutely. Um, now, whether he understood them, I don't know, and we'll talk about it. But, but anyway, the parallels are very clear. Yeah, I, I was struck by that, and I liked all that. I, I did. I liked it very much. Did you have any uh, insight on this rewatch? As for themes that really, really stood out this time, just how close to the Pharisees the Thrombies really are of mm-hmm. just this ungrateful. They've been given so much, and what they actually need is to be blessed less to realize what they, yeah. <laughs> how the, the actual spiritual fuel right. that they need. Right. A lot of the things that have stood out every watch still really get me, especially in the humor department. The score stood out more than ever. It's got such a larger yeah. than life fun it soundtrack. It does. Um, I've always loved the soundtrack. I love. The the donut hole inside of the donut <laughs> hole. Yes. I spoke in the car about the hole at the center of this donut. And what you and Harlan did that fateful night seems at first glance to fill that hole perfectly. A donut hole in a donut's hole. 
But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut is not a hole at all. There's a random cutaway shot to like a dog. <laughs> Just close up out yeah. of nowhere. Just all these great visual gags and and like you said, just a really fun witty script. Even just down to the font and the character cards at the end. Oh, I love that. I love that. So I love when movies do that so much. Return of the King, I think, was the first time I saw it. No, the original Top Gun does it, oh, and yeah. the Top Gun Maverick does it. There's not illustrations. It's you know shots, but these portraits with the character's name. I love that so much. And they did it. They had an interview set up too. I love that. Did you, you remember that? Yeah, at the very beginning when they're interviewing each of the suspects yes. and it introduces their names, it's like a documentary shot. Yes. And a really well done really documentary was. shot. In that great font uh, that you're talking about. I loved all that. There's some really good editing in that in that interview sequence because it'll cut. It's cutting between characters and it'll cut to the interviewer or to Daniel Craig and you'll think he's talking to the other character but he's actually talking to someone completely different. Just good, really good, smart editing. Ryan Johnson's a smart guy. Too smart, maybe. <laughs> it plays with perspective a lot, too, because yes. you'll start to see, you think that they're telling the detectives what really happened, Yes. and you'll yes. see the yes. whole reality, and then it'll cut back, and they'll say, yeah, nothing happened. Yes, that's right. It's very, so it's playing with what's real and what's very not. Very Rashomon again. I told our friend when we were watching, I said, this is Ryan Johnson being a wild stallion galloping in a field, just free. <laughs> he's just doing his thing, and he's just... You know, play, he's, he's able to play to his strengths in this movie. Um, just good. Uh, it, all that stuff was good. It, you, 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 in this movie, you see an artist in his element doing his thing. And that's it's a joy to see that. I think this genre is just a great playground for him. Because like you said about this being a deconstruction of the genre, clearly he has an affection for those kind of mysteries mm -hmm. to the point of wanting to deconstruct it like this. But... Whether he intentionally just loves to, to screw with the basics of stories or not, it's awesome to see a genre that's based on twists and mm -hmm. red herrings mm -hmm. and have a writer that loves throwing those things in it. It just seems like a natural pairing that, like you said, plays to his strengths. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think he went too far, but <laughs> we'll talk about that. Overall, very enjoyable film, very creative. I'm looking forward to the sequel. The only thing that I think could even possibly detract from the experience for people is there is a good bit of foul language. But I read oh, yeah. I read that it actually got tamed down, which mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for. Because originally, the scene where uh, Chris Evans is kind of telling everybody off, originally was just F-bombs left and right. And they made a split-second oh. decision where he's like, I remember when I really got into mystery stories like this when mm -hmm. I was young, and I want young people to be able to see it. So I want it to be PG-13, not that. R. Right. That's good. That's so Ryan made a last-minute decision with an F-bomb-riddled script oh. to go, hey, I want this to get a PG-13. I'm going to tame it down. We're going to well, cut good. some of that that's, out. That's very good. I'm glad to hear that. So it's better than it could be, but it still is a good bit for a PG-13 I think film. that scene's actually funnier without the F-word. I agree. It would. It, it's, it's more funny the way it is, I would say. Uh, that's cool. Good job, Ryan. Uh, he's, he's repenting. He's coming back to the father. <laughs> 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 he killed him in this film. He killed Luke Skywalker, but he's coming back. I see it. He's, <laughs> he's coming, coming back. He's coming. <laughs> so what do you think the... We've, we've gestured to it a little bit, but what do you think the film is on a surface level saying? I think it's, I think it's saying some good things. Well, oh, first, I won't, I won't judge it first. It's saying... It's definitely saying something about greed and money and, you know, something about entitlement 
expecting to get something is the wrong attitude. It's not the attitude you need to be having. You're not going to be rewarded for that attitude. The condition of the heart is wrong. Yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. So that's really good. At, at, at the simplest level, I think it's definitely saying that. Where I get a little confused is what Marta, what her goals are at the end of the film. What is she going to do with the inheritance? Is the film actually aware of Harlan's wealth and material inheritance as a metaphor for the spiritual inheritance? I don't know if the film's actually operating at that level, but the story is a great illustration. I think it's definitely uh, a nice cautionary tale against greed and entitlement. Yeah, for sure. Whether or not it was conscious of, of the spiritual realities, it's still a great, if imperfect, picture of the things that we love to talk about that mm-hmm. are just real and true. When you see the, um, like you said, the low being made high, the selfish, greedy, entitled people are destined to lose everything they have, whereas the kind-hearted person's going to get blessed. Mm-hmm. It's so easy in our materialist culture to think the more I have, the better off I am. And to realize, to see this father that's like, the best thing I can do for you right now Mm -hmm. is actually to not keep giving you things because it's ruining your life. Linda has a prenup and is neglecting her marriage because her business means that much to her. And all the other members of the family never did anything on their own except Mm -hmm. pretend to have wealth they didn't have to impress people they don't know with money that they stole. (laughs) And just to see... They stole it? So with Joni, she was double dipping in in the college Definitely, definitely. So over the course of four years, $400,000. That's right, that's right. Um, But no one else stole. No, no, they they just inherited. Yeah. but just that idea that like maybe the very thing that you think you want is the thing holding you back from everything you could be. That's good. I like Benoit Blanc's just general character too. He's, he's the truth seeker, mm-hmm. the truth finder. And if you His, follow the facts, you'll find the truth. The truth is an arc. Oh, there's a great line. I, I legitimately love this line where he said, The inevitability of truth. But the complexity in the gray. Lie not in the truth, but what you do with the truth once you have it. That's good. That's good. I like that. Because isn't that the ultimate question spiritually? Um, Not that we're quite to that section yet, but like, if you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you've been presented with the truth, the biggest question is not what truth is at that point. The biggest question is, are you going to receive that truth and accept it, or are you going to do something else? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not just the facts, but how we react. Are we going to be honest? Are we going to be vulnerable? Are we going to view the truth as a lie? Are we going to cover it up? Yeah, that's absolutely. That's a great line. There's a lot in the movie about perspective and truth, like Rashomon, like The Last Jedi. It The movie does something interesting, though, where, and I wasn't sure what it was doing at first. When it's showing the flashbacks, I, I was wondering... Are we seeing are we seeing the character's perspective? But no, the flashbacks are showing the real events, the mm. way things really happened. And that was interesting. Last Jedi's not like that. Rashomon's not like that. Rashomon, you get a different version of the same story from different people. And Last Jedi, you get that. And then fi- and then at the end, you get a third story that's the, the true story, the true right. version. But in this one, all the flashbacks were, this is the truth. And he was trying to show the viewer that what these people say is not what, what happened. Uh, so there's a lot in the movie about lies and why people tell lies. Something I really liked about that was they say all these things, they say they believe all these things, 
But at the end, the whole family was kind of, I don't know, they weren't demonized. They weren't really villainized much. I mean, there's there's one, there's the murderer, but it's like he showed these people being liars and being mean to each other, being terrible. But by the end, they're all in the same boat. It's like they were all united in their horribleness. There was something about that I really liked. Just, look, we're all, we're all equals here. We're all sinners here. That was cool. I think the biggest thing that spoke to me this watch on that front is, it's mainly tongue-in-cheek in the name of satire, but some people have read deeply politically into this movie, mm-hmm. and there's definitely overt politics in it. But one of the things I like about it is what you're saying, where you can look at the far right characters, the far left characters, all of them are hypocrites. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it becomes, for me, less of, you know, these people are right and these people are wrong in a political sense, and more just, no matter what they say they believe or no matter what they're championing, their selfishness and themselves were the only team they were really on. And it leads them all to the same place. Yes, I like that a lot. I, you know, some of the things I had heard about this movie was I had heard it had political references and I had heard that it was an eat the rich kind of movie and I had heard that it's it's politics would be dated one day but watching it I just went no that was cool because it was more like I mean you could take the script and change the topical references and it works mm-hmm. it still works you know what I mean it will be dated one day and that, that, that you'll watch this movie and you'll know I, this movie came out in 2019 I know that but I like I, I like that stuff. That was good. That was just more like flavoring, I thought. Yeah. The the greed and the theme yes. that it's built around is universal regardless of whatever time period you put that in or whatever political issues of the day they're split on and arguing about. Right, right. I think he was just trying to be funny by using political language and having these extreme... Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, all these buzzwords and talking points you hear over and over again. You know, I'm a self-made, self-made businessman. You just hear this stuff all the time. Alt-right, Nazi troll, all this stuff. These aren't extreme people. These are normal people, but their, their language is extreme, and that's kind of what's funny about it. Yeah. if you These are like the things you don't want to hear at the Thanksgiving family reunion. Yes, but will probably come up yeah, anyway. Right. It was good. It, it was well done. I liked it. I, I think really what it is is there's a sharp divide between what people say and then what they believe and what they do. That for good and bad, they can be liars, and they can they can be over here saying one thing and then doing another, that's not good. But also there's something good about that where the worst things you say are ultimately not gonna be, that's not the thing that defines you. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they, they are a loving family. They don't kill each other. Only one of them's a murderer. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, they're yeah. not defined by those horrible things. They're not defined by saying anchor baby and saying Nazi and stuff like that. Yeah, and what you brought up about the self-made man thing once again, is one thing that really stood out to me this time more than the others, because it's obviously part of the hypocrisy that mm-hmm. they received a giant inheritance. They're not really self-made. And mm-hmm. it just brought up this idea to me of like the mythology of a self-made man, of does the movie think that is something you can really do? Mm-hmm. Is the American dream an actual thing? Because sure. you have Linda obviously built it with a million-dollar inheritance, but right. Harlan actually does seem to be a self-made person with his book empire Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just as a a person with my own convictions on the one hand there's this amazing reality that like when dave ramsey did all of his studies of millionaires like 79 percent of millionaires didn't actually receive any form of inheritance and there still is a way for us to in a biblical a biblically founded way to be successful Mm -hmm. that like because you brought up earlier the political thing of like, does this movie villainize being wealthy? Mm-hmm. And 
I think it's something we can get into more and more as we go, but I just think it's interesting that, that we can be successful and that shouldn't be viewed as an evil thing. But obviously, when you're at the thrombies position, their wealth was eating them alive in yeah. the worst possible way. Yeah. And I think both of those things can be true at the same time. It's It just comes down to the heart. You know, it's not about, it's really not about the money so much. It's about the condition of the heart with the person who has the money. Harlan, the man who, self-made or not, I'm sure people helped him along the way. Yeah. But he, he worked for his wealth. He did. And it, in the 21st century, in a, you know, postmodern world, I, whether or not self-made, the American dream, whether or not it's a myth, and it, you know, it may well be, I think it's okay to still believe that you can work. Yes. And you can earn things. I think that, that is an, an okay belief to have. Yes. It's uh, not evil to be successful. It does take hard work mm-hmm. and determination. But also maybe self-made is the thing that we need to throw out. And yeah. I think it's maybe a good transition into Bible simply because not only are there other people that, are, that can help you, but the thrombies' biggest flaw is the realization that all these things they feel entitled to are gifts that were never really theirs. And the fact that even if I build a company with my own hard work from the ground up, everything I have, my talents, my abilities, my money, it's God's anyway. Mm -hmm. And if God isn't the supplier of all that, then I'm just waiting for my business to to collapse because I am a manager and a steward. I'm not an owner. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything. I'm not self-made at all. I was created. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Having said all that, let's move on to our Bible section. Let's pull out some scripture to try to support what Knives Out is saying, and then we'll try to uh, deconstruct Knives Out using scripture. Ryan Johnson's favorite project, <laughs> deconstruction. <laughs> the double deconstruction, let's go. start with the inheritance and heirs, a big concept in the New Testament, Old Testament too, but I think the New Testament concept fits knives out more specifically, especially with the character Marta. But um, okay, first I've got, to get us rolling, I've got the story of the centurion in Matthew, Matthew, uh, chapter is this? Matthew 8, 5 through 13. But basically um, the centurion, I don't need to read the whole thing, but the centurion comes and displays this great faith. He says, you know, I know you will heal. If you just give the word, you will heal my servant. And then Jesus is impressed with this. He says, Jesus says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that... I I'd thought of that verse watching the Thornbees. These are the sons of the kingdom. They're not acting right. It's uh, Harlan the patriarch had to go outside his family, outside the sons of his kingdom, to see someone who was worthy of his inheritance. Uh, just parallels this so much, I think. Totally. Um, because the the sons of the kingdom, biblically, the, the Israelite people and the, the Pharisees, are mainly the people persecuting Jesus at that mm-hmm. point. And even in the Old Testament, when they are the chosen people and God is still leading them into the promised land, he's constantly like, you stiff-necked, disobedient <laughs> people. Like, why do I keep giving you instructions and you do the opposite? 
and I, I bless you with one thing, and then you complain about it, and I bless mm-hmm. you with something else, and... What does stiff neck mean? Uh, Is that they won't turn? They, yeah, they won't probably. Turn, they won't turn to God? They they are stubborn. There's so many parallels between the thrombies and just a people that were supposed to get this inheritance and that inheritance is a good thing. Proverbs 13:22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. Mm-hmm. So you look at the second part of that and it's like, you know, Harlan wanted to give this inheritance to his kids. There is yeah. family. He loves right. his family. He does. And at one point uh, one of the thrombies is like, he would never cut us out of the will. He loves us. And as an audience member, you're going, it's because he loved you right. that he realizes right. his inheritance can't go to the wicked. It's going to go to the righteous, even if it's not you. Mm-hmm. Because even though it would be the best blessing in the world to give it to you, why would he give you more of what is ruining your life and driving you away right. from everything good? They just waste it anyway. There would be no more inheritance. Yeah. Exactly. Squander it. It can't. It's interesting. The verse says to the children's children. Mm-hmm. So it's a multi generational thing. But if you spend right. it all, right. if it's you don't gone. steward it well, yeah. it's gone. That's yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, Harlan is. He's he's imperfect, but he is a loving father, loving patriarch, mm-hmm. who slits his throat. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same root, but you know, Paul talks about heirs, and inheritance a lot. Yeah. But. Uh, the one that came to mind for me is Galatians, Galatians three and four, really. But um, he starts to talk about the inheritance being for Gentiles as well mm. in Galatians three and four, starting at let's see what do I got Galatians three eighteen. What does he say here? For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Mm. So there's some, th- that's that's getting at the spiritual nature of inheritance. It's not so much that God has for Abraham a, a lineage and sons that will number the stars. Paul reveals it's, it's, it's not the physical descendants of Abraham that he was talking about ever. The sons of Abraham are those who believe the way he believed. That's how we are sons of Abraham. And that, you know, it gets a little tricky in this movie because ultimately it is about a material inheritance. But... Uh, what what is cool about this movie is Harlan is looking at a a daughter who's not his daughter, saying you are my you are my daughter. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that, but I'm going to say the movie saying that. I think it's I think it's a decent, a fair reading. And throughout, I mean, they constantly say you're part of the family. That's true, and they don't really mean oh, that's it. That's interesting, but, but Harlan, Harlan does. That's right. Yeah, good point. Good point. You know, uh, not all who are descended from Israel are of Israel, as he says in Romans. But basically, you know, this idea that you can, and, and he continues in 4, uh, I love this passage, Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amazing. So it's Harlan's love for Marta as a good daughter, uh, kind servant, who, and she says he needed a friend, who was a friend to him, played go with him beat him mercilessly at go. But anyway, he's there is a father-daughter relationship there. And that and the, the film does say this, that is what is special. Mm-hmm. It's the love they had for each other, not the material inheritance. So that's cool. Movie did a good job with that. Yeah. I definitely want to stay on inheritance before I jump off on this completely, but just so we don't forget, I do think it's cool that 
she is a great nurse and she does her job really well. But what you're saying, the real connection between her and Harlan was relationship mm-hmm. and it was friendship. And even though there's so much about the material in this film, Marta is also a repentant figure. Mm-hmm. Throughout the film, everything she does wrong, she fully confesses to mm-hmm. and turns from and is willing to turn herself in in her purity. It's there there's such a distinction between righteousness and wickedness that's seen all throughout Proverbs and all throughout the Old Testament. That's just so clear in these characters of like, here is one that is pure of heart and here is everyone else. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does help when you when you puke every time you lie. Yeah, that, it's that, like Pinocchio. That builds a lot of character. <laughs> you have a regurgitative reaction to mistruthing. Mm, no. Oh, oh dear oh girl, God. I'm sorry. I assumed you were speaking so figuratively. <laughs> That's so good. To add to what you were saying in Galatians, John 1, 12 through 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, mm. nor of mm-hmm. human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So she is the literal heir in the film, but also she's a spiritual heir to the the goodness of what the thrombies could have been. <laughs> right. That's good. That's really the heart of the film is is that relationship. I wish it was on screen more. I wish you got more scenes with uh, Harlan and Marta. But uh, there's there's an element of election in there too. As he's going, I I have all these kids over here. I chose this one, mm-hmm. and he is electing her. He is in that moment. Say, you will be my daughter. I think the last inheritance verse I have. Um, We've brought it up before, but really just connecting it to the Beatitudes with the yeah. the character of Marta. And at the end saying in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, of course. So yeah. Marta has this incredible inheritance because of her kindness, her gentleness, her lowliness. Um, that she was, never... That was meek. Um, inherit the earth. I think it's probably just a translational thing. Blessed oh, are the okay. meek, blessed are the gentle. Oh, okay, okay. Um, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And later on in Matthew, Matthew 23, like we were referring to earlier, let the greatest among you be your servant, and whoever makes himself high will be made low, and whoever makes himself low will be made high. Mm-hmm. So here's this unassuming person, didn't ask for the money, didn't want the money, had no interest in the money, and right. she's the one that's going to receive everything. Right. Because her heart was in a position to receive for the sole reason that she didn't anticipate or want to receive it, which made her the most qualified to steward it well. Absolutely. That I'm just thinking of when they're playing the board game and Harlan knocks it over and she bends down to pick everything up. It's just great portrait of a servant there, literally down on her knees on the floor, cleaning up the mess of somebody else. That's good. That scene's really sweet where she's, she's freaking out and he's just the kind of calm, authoritative, reassuring father. And then he slits his throat. <laughs> <laughs> this, movie, this movie's weird. This, uh, there's some things I don't like about it. But anyway, that, I, I really, I like that scene. That was really good. It was really sweet to, to see. That's where you really see her love for him. That was one question I had was, does she really love him? Is it a job? What scenes do we get where we see that they, they really did care for each other? I think where you most see that is just the grief she feels when she thinks she killed she's killed him 
Absolutely. And once again, having a wife that is a nurse, her watching and not only seeing nurses being shown as like part of a noble profession that mm-hmm. that is Marian, full of frankly. heart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the movie's contention. And uh but the fact that home health is a thing that's not often seen when you think of nursing and the fact that that's not always easy. A lot of those people are not always the kindest or the most easy to mm-hmm. get along with. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the medical stuff in this film is ridiculously accurate. Oh, really? Like, all the drugs, they even have, like, the generic brand of the drug on the label, but she refers to it as, like, the typical brand, like, that medical people refer to it. Okay. Um, like, they clearly consulted someone. And the the twist at the end with the viscosity of the liquids being different, mm-hmm. and she'd done it hundreds of times, Gabby's like, I give those meds, that's totally true. Like, a good nurse would have known. And the fact that she not only had a good heart, but was also just good at her job. Mm -hmm. She knew what she was doing. And if it weren't for the murderer, like, the cure would have been there. And the fact that she has everything prepared and her whole life's falling apart before her eyes. And her instinct is, even if I'm going to jail, I'm going to call 911. Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to do the right thing. And it's only Harlan that's like out of love for her and the protection of her creates this whole other scheme. Mm -hmm. Unbelievably, perhaps. Unbelievably, perhaps. (laughs) No. Um, Yes, that's great. I forgot about... Yeah, that really happens twice. When she thinks she's poisoned him or overdosed him, she wants to call 911 right then. But then also when she meets the housekeeper in the the shadowy place, the shadow realm, (laughs) the abandoned building... She she calls nine one one and leaves the phone there. Because mm-hmm. is, isn't there a choice she has to make there where she can leave or she can stay, something like that? The whole point of that being <clears throat> orchestrated was so that she would get caught with the dead body and all this incriminating evidence. Right. But the only reason that the enemy's plan doesn't work is because she's too pure. She has the self-sacrificial heart and even at the risk of being incriminated, says, if there's a chance to save this person, I could just leave and pretend I have nothing to do with it, or I could give up everything to do what I know is right and right. to save someone else. What was she giving up there? Um, so she, at that point, having can, with the confession out and everything, I think if she stays, it is a high likelihood that she goes to prison because the blood toxicology report would reveal what she did with the meds. Which at this point we think shows that she killed Harlan, which she didn't. But there was no problem with the blood. There was no problem with the blood. Right. Okay. In her mind. But in her mind. In her, yeah. Okay, okay. This document is going to send me to prison. Right. Condition of the heart. Okay. Which is we bring it up nearly every week, but John fifteen thirteen. Greater love is no one than this that someone lay down their life for their friends. And here, whether it's Harlan, whether it's Fran, she's willing to go to prison lose her license, lose her livelihood to do the right thing, which is take care of someone else. If they can be saved, I'm going to do that. And Harlan in a sense has a self-sacrificial thing, but obviously it's tied to suicide, which is the least biblical thing. Yes. So there's a weird twist there where he also is giving up his life for someone else, but in a way that is not productive. And he would have literally lived if he had just listened to her, which I think says something. Well, We'll get there in the not-Bible. We'll come back to that, for sure. Yes. In not-Bible. When not-Bible Nathan will make his reappearance. Not-Bible. He's not here right now. We have to 
Put on the bat signal. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, well, I had some... Yeah, I, I had Servant's Heart with Marta. If, if you're done with inheritance, you know, Jesus talks a lot about money. Yep. And love of money. Let's go. Well, let's start with the... Actually, let's start with the most famous one, the most obvious one, which is in three Gospels. Uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Uh, definitely thought about that watching this. Just We, we just had a, a good conversation about earn. you can earn your wealth, you can work hard and earn your rest and be successful, and that's great, and that's biblical. And, and also, Jesus talks so much about greed and wealth and how that will corrupt the heart. And you see that you see that on full display here. Like you're saying, even if wealth is not an inherently evil thing, there's tons of scriptures that we're going to talk about that show whenever this tool that is meant to be stewarded and managed become, becomes the object of our affection instead of the tool used to glorify God or to help other people um, or to pay our bills, um, when the order of our life becomes centered around the possessions and the comfort, things go downhill pretty quickly mm-hmm. in very explicit terms. There's a, a little more to that verse that I think I want to read. It's connected to the rich young ruler. It's connected to the rich young ruler, absolutely. Let's just, let's just look at that story. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Um, Pretty awesome. One of the other versions of this story, maybe Mark, but there's an extra detail that when when the young man says, all these I have kept since I was a boy, says Jesus liked that. Jesus respects that. Something like that. Uh, I, I, that's, that's interesting. So it's like, it's introducing Jesus, it, it, he's lamenting that this boy won't follow him. Something like that. Mm. And, and I've also heard, I heard there's one interpretation. Yeah, it's in Mark. That that boy, the rich young ruler, is also the, the young man who flees naked in the Garden of Gethsemane. At the end, oh. just one interpretation. Interesting. Yeah, that, I haven't it, heard that. I, I had never heard that anywhere else, uh, but I found that cool. But anyway, so there's the whole story. Um, in context, as it should be. In, in context, <laughs> yes, yes. So what uh, what do you think is going on in this story, and how does it apply to Knives Out? So Knives Out, as we've talked about, has characters that. It's not only that they have money, but money has them. Their Mm -hmm. hearts are bent toward money and their possessions as what defines their reality. And they have values up until the point that it gets between them and that inheritance. And then all sense of decency flies out the window. Mm -hmm. And in The Rich Young Mm -hmm. Ruler, he's like, I'm a good person. I'm moral. 
I'm of a good standing with society. I'm successful. This is the exact kind of person that they probably would have looked at and said, well, he's definitely going to heaven. He's been very blessed here and he's kept all the commandments. And Jesus is showing him, you actually are not as perfect as you think you are. You actually won't inherit the kingdom of heaven if you still have money holding on to your heart like that. And then the rich young ruler walks away kind of like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm able to give all of my possessions away. And it's not that every single person is called to give up everything, but that thing was an idol to him. Yeah, it definitely. was something he was worshiping in right. the same way the thrombies worship it. Right. And we could stop the story there and then just say, well, if you're rich, money probably has your heart and you're doomed. But in context, what's so encouraging about the story is it goes on and the, the disciples are going, well, if he can't get in, how am I supposed to get in? And Jesus is going, it is impossible for a rich person. It's impossible for any person because all of you are imperfect. And I could go through the room and find that for all of you. Mm -hmm. But through God, all things are possible. Whether you're rich or not, it's harder for a rich person to humble themselves, repent, and accept. Mm -hmm. But all of us have a, a gateway to heaven and to God through Jesus. But without Jesus, we're all doomed. <laughs> but wealth is a particular method of the enemy that I think is particularly prevalent in distracting and keeping people from a true spiritual reality. Oh, for sure. The, I mean, if you're a rich person, you're tempted. It's very hard to fight that temptation. You can just, I mean, you can just have it. If you're a poor person and you're tempted, you're actually in a much better place. Because, I mean, I don't, if, let's say you're a poor person and you're tempted to gamble. Well, you don't got any money to gamble with. So <laughs> God has actually, he's looked out for you in that situation. Um, yeah, that's totally right. The uh, Here's here's what I was thinking of the Mark version. Mark's got these kind of weird little details. I like him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. These Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Two little kind of narrative details in there, like Jesus looked at him and loved him. At this, the man's face fell. There's a little more sympathy in this telling, I think. Yeah. It just reminds me of, and I've said it before, but the thrombies over and over are like, you're part of the family. We're going to take care of you. And the second the thing they want gets taken away from them, right. they're like a kid with a temper tantrum. Right. And they're like, this isn't right. You're a terrible person. Right. It's not supposed to be this way. I was supposed to have everything. It's like they're, you were fine being generous when you had it. But if... Well, were they even <laughs> really generous? To begin with. Was yeah. it just uh, I think it when was, it's convenient? When, it, when it's convenient. And also, I think it's part of a... It's a polite show. Because they... Well, I can't remember his name. But the, the, the husband of Jamie Lee Curtis... He can never remember where she, where her family's from. He gets it wrong every time. Every single character <laughs> picks a different country every, single, every time they is. mention that's it. That's what it is. Yeah, that's good. She's from Uruguay. She's from Paraguay? Right. She's from right. Uganda. <laughs> <laughs> Uganda, they say Uganda. I don't think so. Oh, that, that would be funny. But, uh, and, you know, two of them, Michael Shannon and I think Jamie Lee Curtis, they both say... Uh, I thought you should have been at the funeral, but I was outvoted. They have the same line. They have the same line. When, when Michael Shannon said it, when Jimmy Lee Curtis said it, I went, okay. When Michael Shannon said it, I went, how many votes were there? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't think you're telling the truth. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think they're, 
their politeness to her is is not totally genuine, mm-hmm. and their real selves come out when their when their wealth is threatened. Basically, you have not been good to her. You're, you're a pack of vultures at the feast. Knives out, beaks bloody. Anyway, uh, one one cool thing about this, I think, is that by the end of the film, I do believe, other than ransom. I think the family is in a better place. You know, the film ends on a kind of ambiguous note where uh, Marta, she has the cup, she has the house, her house, her rules, her coffee. <laughs> so good. And the family's out there, you know. Have they been cast in the outer darkness? Maybe not. But I think the family has been humbled, and I think they, I don't know, I, I get the sense, even if maybe the film doesn't come out and say it, I get the sense that there is repentance amongst the family. Maybe there will be a unity following this yes that they couldn't have had before definitely definitely i love the at the very end there's a really cool moment where and you can read it either way um but i like to read it in a in just a generous way with marta's heart but she looks at the detective and she's like we have to help them right and the detective's like well i have my opinion yeah yeah. but i think you're gonna follow your heart yes which is kind of like he sees, he's like the truth seeker. And mm-hmm. he's like, these people were terrible. Let them, just leave them be. Blanc, and then... Blanc needs Jesus too. Yeah. <laughs> Blanc is kind of like... Maybe that's a sequel. I wouldn't help those guys <laughs> if I were you. But he's like, but I know you're a good person. I know you're probably going to help them anyway. Yeah. You're going to repay evil with good because that's who you are. That's good. Uh, Glass Onion knives out to Benoit Blanc finds Jesus. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. Love that. I think one thing that connects well with this as well is First Timothy six ten, for the love of money oh, is yes. a root of all yes. kinds of evil. Yeah, Some good. people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right. So first of all, money is not the root of all evil. The love of it is, mm-hmm. which the Thrombies had until mm-hmm. they were humbled. Mm-hmm. And two. People that would have gone to the faith were eager for these material possessions in a way that it distracted them away from it. And the result wasn't that they were super happy on earth, but they're going to be in hell one day. The reality was on earth, they pierced themselves with many griefs, chasing what would never satisfy them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just see how stressed out these people are all the time when they have a great life. And none of this had to happen if they would just have like been a little grateful. (laughs) Right, right. That's good. That reminds me of, I said this in the Top Gun one, but it's more appropriate for this film, really. But yeah, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul's talking about collecting money for the church in Jerusalem. This is where you have the, you know, God loves a cheerful giver passage. But uh, there's a line, there's a, a verse in here that I really like. Well, there's a couple of things in here. This is cool. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever uh, sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That could very well apply to Harlan. Mm-hmm. Um, he likes giving his money. Yes, yes. And he, he's, him giving it all to Marta, he's decided that in his heart. No one, no one could tell him to do that. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And that passage even goes on to say um, in verse 10, now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity 
will result in thanksgiving to God. Which also just makes me think of Marta. Of like, here's this person that she's been enriched in every way because she's the person that will be generous with it. And she's been given the resource to steward out of her to be generous to others. Mm-hmm. Which is what Harlan, I mean, for years he gave to every member of his family. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was a stingy ruler. Um, it's because he loved giving that he didn't want to see it squandered. Right. And sometimes I just wonder, I know like money topics with spirituality can get pressury and get misconstrued pretty easily. But the parable of the talents does come to mind of like, if there's someone that's been given a gift or given a resource or whatever it is, and it could be used in a way where maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging on you of like, hey, like you can bless this person or you can do this. Mm -hmm. And if Mm -hmm. you just bury it and don't use it, he'll give that to someone else who will bless his lost sheep. Mm -hmm. And not to, to see that in a legalistic way, but in an encouraging way of like, if you want to be generous and you have a heart and a spiritual gift of giving, I believe that God will give us the supply to meet that gift that he's put inside of us to bless his people. Absolutely. Uh, the The real verse I was thinking of in 2 Corinthians speaks to that. Um, because basically he's asking Corinthians to for money. <laughs> he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance, abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So hmm. kind of what you're saying, it's Harlan's wealth. God created Harlan's wealth so that it could be given and so that this spiritual reckoning could happen. Harlan has the wealth so that he can give it to Marta. Marta was given a kind heart. She was given wealth in other ways. In other ways, yes. Right, I think that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, So that there may be fairness. And, you know, that's that's in the broader context of Paul often talks about different spiritual gifts. And Harlan's a giver, and Marta's a, you know, kind-hearted servant. Yeah. So that's cool. That's really cool to see uh, people come together and, use your spiritual gifts in this movie. That's cool. <clears throat> and I think it's easy to even forget that giving is a spiritual gift. Yeah, it's in the definitely. list. And so often it can feel like, once again, giving is something that we're just pressured to do. And the Bible says that you shouldn't be pressured, that you need to have a cheerful heart and give what right. God calls you to give. But some right. people use that to lessen the standard, that they used to do 10%. But now... It's only what I feel like I'm supposed to give. And I don't feel like I can give anything right now. Mm. But really, it's almost the other way around where, like, you can give more than 10%. You can give less than 10%. Is whatever God has given you the the Holy Spirit nudging to do. But when you're doing it with a cheerful heart, you and it's a gift, it is a gift to give. You realize not because of what you're materially getting back, but because of how joyful and yes. fun it is to bless yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And when you experience how fun it is to give, you're going to want to give more. And when you're not stingy, but you're free-hearted with that, I think that that is honored, and you are given more gifts or talents to give out of that abundance. It seems to be the case. And it reminds <laughs> me, it's in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, Um in Luke 16, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Yeah. 
Whoever is dishonest with very little can be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, which is what we're talking about, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Because, goes back to the first Timothy point almost, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one, hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or I believe some translations say God and mammon. And yeah, some do. What the spirit of mammon is, is it's a spirit that comes on money when we think that those material possessions can take the place of God, that my security comes from my money. And it's, it's an idol. It's, it's an idol, exactly. And the Pharisees had that idol. The Pharisees, who loved money, loved money. heard yeah. this and had, were sneering at Jesus. The uh, Luke makes it clear there. <laughs> it's, yeah, you cannot love God and money. The Pharisees, who love money, <laughs> heard this. They didn't like it. You justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. Yeah. So you can look at the thrombies from the outside. Oh, he's a self-made man who runs a publishing company. They're doing great. But the one who in the eyes of the world was probably just a lowly illegal immigrant was the one that was truly blessed. And then in the end, she's material blessed in addition to all of that. But yeah. she had the real riches the whole time. Um, I think maybe to wrap up the Bible section, the last one that I have, I'm glad you did Luke uh, Lovers of Money. I forgot about that. But this is, uh, this is a great one. I love this one. This is just applicable to everything in your life. <laughs> Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yeah. In a broader section on don't be anxious. Why are you worrying about money? Why are you worrying mm-hmm. about, you know, Joni wouldn't have... I was also Tony Collette, Joni. Yes. Tony, T-O-N-I, Joni, J-O-N-I. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that every character was like named after a different rock star or something. Or that Harlan Thrombey <laughs> okay. was like... Joni Mitchell? Yeah. The, the names are all kind of inside jokes. Okay. But anyway, what if Joni, you know, simply had the faith in God that she'd be provided for, she would not have felt the need to steal from Harlan. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people. If you have the simple faith that God's a good father who's going to give you gifts, that you're more important to him than the birds and the flowers and but those you know they they don't toil they're good life's good for the birds <laughs> why, why are you so worried all these people are worried about um the son you know the son is worried that he won't have his own legacy uh michael shannon's character what is his name walt walt uh, there's that interesting scene between them where the dad harlan says you know what you're right i'm gonna make it easy for you and take this away from you yeah, it's like, I will free you of this burden. Right. And he's like, are you firing me? And he's right. like, you're right. You should make something on your own. And I've kept you from it. And I'm sorry. Right. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. But, you know, it, it's revealing Walter's heart because he, if, if he had been grateful and didn't have, if he was not anxious about his own legacy and about his own contributions, if he had been comfortable and satisfied with the gifts he'd been given to serve his father, he never would have been in that position. But anyway, the, the, whole, the whole section, the Sermon on the Mount, about anxiety and about, you know, wanting things that you don't need, having the peace to say, God has given me what he's given me, tomorrow he'll take care of me. It's, yeah. It is all good. These people didn't have that. You know, they were all worried about tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And there's a line in the movie that really struck me this time. I think it's um, Linda's character 
but she's talking about Walt, and they're like, well, Walt does pretty good with his business. And she goes, oh, yeah, he did all right with what Dad gave him. And mm-hmm. in my head, I'm going, isn't that the best any of us can say? Right. I did the best with the gifts that he gave me. Right. Yeah, right. And it's that's like, a good that's thing. That's the goal. Yeah. Like, Who says this? Which character? Um, it's in the interviews at the very beginning, and the the sister is complaining. She she's says like, that. She's like, I built a business all uh, on my own, but with Walt. With the hypocrisy there, too, with the loan of a million dollars or whatever it was. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the publishing house, he just, I mean, he doesn't write the books. Dad just gave, he did the best with what dad gave him. I'm like, that is that is the mission. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. And also, I mean, I just I thought I just thought of this. Jesus in the the desert, uh, when the when the devil tempts him with material things, Jesus says, Man cannot live on bread alone. Mm-hmm. And that you know, he's not talking about money there, but it, it's it's a it's just a step away to money. You know, where yeah. why do you need money? You need money you think you need money for these material things for these desires and wants that you, uh, in both these, men cannot live on bread alone and seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first and you are going to be taken care of. Yeah. You may not be rich, you may be a rock star or whatever you want, but you will be taken care of. You'll have what you need, whatever you that will is, have, for absolutely. the purpose that you have. Absolutely. I've heard it said at one time that we shouldn't spend all of our lives like on one side of the spectrum worrying about financial things even if we're poor money can be an object of our focus and if we're super rich then money can become all about comfort and pleasure but the the narrow path between them is one of purpose that it's not about how me stressed about how little i have or happy about how much i have it's just if god gave it to me it's got a purpose i'm going to assign it a purpose and god my whole life is the purpose god gave me this is just a piece yeah, absolutely. With the ultimate goal being um, with you know what it says in Matthew that we have earthly treasures, but our ultimate goal is to store treasures in heaven with what we do with the earthly treasure. Because that earthly treasure is uh, not going to last one day. But mm-hmm. there is a treasure in, in the next life that will always be there. And we'll, we'll reap that by being like Marta. Yes. Puking. Puking everywhere. <laughs> Also, I, this is the first time I've ever noticed the title in the movie. The first, like, three times, it slid right past me. But the words Knives Out are in the movie. And it's when oh, okay. um, the detective at the oh, very the, end... Yeah, it's like talking about vultures or something? Yeah, he, like, runs in, and he's like... Uh, Mar- Marta's about to confess to the family, and he figures out that she's innocent. And he runs in, and he's like, No, you didn't treat her well. You were Knives Out, Beaks Bloody. It just reminds me of, there's a, in Psalm 27 too, it says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, that bird imagery, <laughs> it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. So it's like, even though it seems like the, everybody's got their knives out, they don't know that uh, in, in the spiritual reality, they're about to fall and I'm, I'm defended and I'm protected. I don't think we can fully leave the Bible section without bringing up one of the core tenets of Christianity, which is repentance. Oh, yeah. Um, that throughout we've talked about Marta's good heart, and I love all the lines that the detective has of, like, does having a kind heart make you a good nurse? And I trust you because of your kind heart. But um, in the end, even at the risk of going to prison, she's ready to confess to the family. She confesses to the detective. She confesses a lot. And yes. every single bad thing and mistake she makes, she comes completely clear on, is completely honest about it. And wants to live in a pure way, not 
making those mistakes again. And the fact that she's not just kind, but there is that spiritual attitude of, I will pay the consequences of what I did if I did them. She's Christian. She is a Christian in the film. She has a cross She has a a crucifix in her car. She's got Mary in her home. I think there's a cross in her home somewhere. But definitely the Mary, definitely the cross Mm -hmm. in her car. Uh, so she's it's over. She's she's Catholic, you know, like many uh, uh, Latin Americans. Definitely Catholic, and just the the Frank Miller did this too in Daredevil. The Marian nurse, mm. you know, the, the the nurse who cares for the man the way a mother would for a child. That's what I'm trying to say. Interesting. Yeah, he's there's that's cool. Ryan Johnson tapped into some cool Catholicism there with the Mary imagery. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And she's got the spirit, too, because, I mean, her puking is like a visual version of the spirit. It's oh, conviction. Oh, God, yeah. I, t- I, t- I, t- I lied. I, I hate this. I shouldn't do that. It's, but it's visualized with a, a physical reaction in her. Yeah, she dislikes her wrongdoing so much. She has a physical reaction. And I love, too, it's so easy, especially in a movie like this, to say, we can bend the rules, ends justify the means, but even her half truths make her throw up. Mm. Where she, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Her lies of omission, where everything right. she said was technically true, that got her too. It did. It did. I noticed that, and I went, "Oh, didn't you just? Aren't you lying right now?" And then she puked, and I went, oh, "Okay, okay." The movie succeeded in its own logic. <laughs> it's cool to see, just uh, kind of like Goose and Top Gun. It's just it's subtle. The cross is there. But the writer, the director, understood the significance of it and wrote a character that was true to it. Yeah. It's cool. I respect that a lot. Because, you know, I don't think Ryan Johnson is a professed Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know his heart. But it seems like he's not. And uh, it's just cool. Hey, Christians make great characters. So maybe maybe more more writers will see this and pick it up. Yeah, it's cool to see... A Christian character be taken seriously, not as a right. caricature, but it's just in the background. But by her actions, you can tell. Yeah, she's different. Right, absolutely, and it, that's what reveals that the writer understood it. Yeah, that it wasn't that it was subtle, and you saw it in her behavior and her beliefs. Yeah, Christians are good. They, they, Christians make for rich, complex, relatable characters. Mm. So, do and, that more, Hollywood. <laughs> It'll and, make you more money. <laughs> <laughs> And with Blanc, too, we've talked about, like, he has this pursuit of truth, which is a very good Christian thing. Um, he is a bit, a little bit less merciful. One thing I really like about him is when he talks to Nanathrombi, he is the only yes. one of the whole right. family that right. gives condolences to her. And he just sits with her. He's like, I like sitting next to you. I'm sorry if I'm the only one that said it, but I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. And he's, like, the only one that sees her. That is so. That was so good because I remember uh, when my dad died. That just destroyed my grandmother, and I've watched that and I went, Ryan Johnson, he's pulling from real life right there. That the the Nana, the great grandmother, everybody forgot about. Mm-hmm. Her son is dead, and that's that's also kind of Marion, you know that. And he also says something like, "When you're old, you grieve more deeply." Mm-hmm. Anyway, he just. Blanc was the only one that understood what she was going through. Nana didn't care about the inheritance. Definitely. She lost she, a son. She probably didn't even know what it was, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. But yeah, that was that was really good. I love that scene. And the other only other thing with Blanc is just you know 
the truth will set you free truth is a good thing and uh yes what i thought of specifically with the mystery genre I think it's in Luke 12. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Mm -hmm. That everything that you think is a secret in the dark, truth will come to light eventually. Everyone will get their penance eventually. The the letter in Invisible Ink is a great visual of that at the end. Yeah. You think you might have gotten away with it, but... Nope. <laughs> all, all the sins came to light, and hopefully they can learn from them and, and live better lives. Yeah, I think they will. I have to read the film that way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's good. That's good. There's a rich movie. Rich 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 biblical references and Ryan Johnson is he's aware on some level of what he's doing, I believe. Uh uh Looper's got a lot of Christian stuff in it too. It's got kind of a single mother and child of promise and um kind of sins to the father kind of thing. But it's it's got an insane ending. That anyway, no, another conversation. But I'm just Ryan Johnson. He he went to he's he's been to church. He's read his Bible. <laughs> it's like pairing these earthly things with these deeply Christian ideas. It reminds me. I'm reading a book recently about art and Christianity, and it mm-hmm. talks about kind of sometimes, often an unholy marriage, but of of like worldly ideas and Christian ideas. Dante's Inferno. Your guide is the Roman poet Virgil. So you have this like, you know earthly philosopher in the midst of this larger world that's deeply entrenched in Christian imagery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's like sometimes like with Looper, just as an example, like clearly not an entirely biblical movie, but it can still swim in that pool. And it's up to us Christian viewers to kind of discern which is which. (laughs) Right. Definitely. So having said that, let's, let's get to some discerning. All right. <laughs> what was in this movie that did not pass the test? Not Bible, not Nathan. Bible. Activated. definitely some not bible things we've already mentioned it but let's just talk about the suicide yeah what is going on there you know it it's shocking to see it uh as a simple moviegoer i watched that and i go i don't know what's happening in the story anymore because it's it's like i like this movie but the big criticism i have is just it's like one or two mini twists mm. it's just i start to be i start to not even understand what's real anymore which twist i'm sure overload huh Twist overload. Twist overload. Because it's Ryan Johnson, I'm sure it tickles him to live in this world of uh, unreality and where you're being shocked every other scene. It's like a big puzzle box. Yeah, but I, I got to have something to hold on to as a moviegoer. I, there's got to be, you know, the donut hole that I'm tra- you know, <laughs> that I'm holding on to. And I, that, I, I felt lost. Uh, I felt like I lost that a couple of times. You had one too many donut holes inside the donut hole. Yeah, I, I felt lost a couple of times. Um, Harlan killing himself was one of them. And the other was when Ransom is the double twist where Ransom is revealed. Oh, it seems like he's the, he's the black sheep of the family. We don't like him. Oh, actually Ransom. No, he's misunderstood kind of like Marta. No, he's, he, he's been the black sheep his whole life. He and Marta are the, they're actually the, the ones who get it. They're actually the repentant ones. No, he's the villain. Mm -hmm. So it was just a little too much. 
it, I thought, now I'm just in movie review mode, but when Ransom was, the double twist with Ransom when he actually is revealed to be the murderer, I was less interested in the movie then. Because hmm. it was, I was like, I already thought that, and then you made me not think that, and now we're back to that. <laughs> I would have expected to introduce something new. Ah, I see. But anyway, um, anyway, Harlan slitting his throat. That Two things with that. First of all, the suicide is just weird and unbiblical, I think. I mean, I don't know if the Bible ever talks, ever talks about suicide, but it just seems wrong. And, two, and second of all, in the internal logic of the movie, it creates this, he didn't have to kill himself, like we said earlier. Yeah. So why, how am I supposed to interface with that? As a again, as as a as a film watcher, it's just that he was his death meaningless. Like why why write that anyway? But suicide suicide in the Bible. What do we have to say there? So it is definitely like anyone struggling with that from a secular perspective or a Christian one. I think any of us would obviously encourage you to keep yeah. on living and that there's things to live for and God has a purpose for your life and that suicide is never. Uh, a good alternative it's a it's a permanent end to a temporary problem mm-hmm. <laughs> that will not solve the problem and um so it obviously goes in the not bible section as to the, like the logic within the film i think the prodigal son bait and switch and the suicide both play into just part of the puzzle box mystery genre yeah the fact that for the puzzle box to work you have to have the red herrings and the pieces and if he doesn't kill himself then there's just the medical murder, and if it's the medical murder, then Marta just goes to jail and there's no story. Nah, you could write something else. You, you could do it in a different way. But the way the, the logic of the film um, yes. works, the, the tight construction where everything has to meticulously piece together, the, the fact that the prodigal son is ransom and then he ends up being non-repentant, mm-hmm. I never thought about that until you mentioned it, simply because... I'm used to these kind of mystery things having those kinds of reveals. And the deconstruction that's cool is that the movie shows you the solution halfway through. So you think the movie is actually you covering your tracks, not discovering who the murderer is. But in the end, it ends up being more of a traditional mystery when you realize the whole time the solution, quote unquote, was a red herring, which is cool. It's a a bit much, but it's really cool. cool. I just, I I thought it made them... I found it, I was just bored by it. Ah. And anytime I'm bored, I just go, the movie made a mistake somewhere. Interesting. Because uh, you're absolutely right, you know, that I'm not really familiar with this genre, but I think typically how this kind of story works is it's clue trail, don't know what's going on, the murder is revealed in the final scene. Mm. Whoa, didn't see it coming. And like you're saying, the twist is you know who it is, you know what happened in the middle, and you just don't know how it's going to play out. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of a red herring where you say, oh, no, maybe it's not Ransom. Oh, no, it was Ransom. Okay. And it ends up becoming kind of about something else. But what makes that genre cool is you're guessing until the end. Hmm. And guessing until the end, yes, it's been done before, but it's not boring. Right. You know? <laughs> when I know it's going to happen in the middle of the movie, that's more boring. Yeah. Um, but anyway. It's a take. It, and, is, it uh, is a take. It is a take. And I do Absolutely. like making Ransom the villain does vindicate Marta in a cool way. Because she does. does confess and she does repent. But in the end, because she was a good nurse, she was able to do the right thing 
And it does make the weird thing of Harlan didn't have to kill himself, but it makes the only unbiblical things, like the suicide, unnecessary. Yeah. Like, the good characters always did the right thing. The bad characters, even when Ransom seemed to be on the good side, in reality, he knew that the will was never going to be going to him at all. Mm-hmm. So when he was kind of laughing at the chaos, it wasn't that he was above it like everyone else. It was just the fact that he knew that the truth that none of the others knew at the time, because they hadn't read the will yet, mm-hmm. that uh, all of them were not going to get anything unless his scheme worked. Right, right. It reveals the condition of the heart, the way the story's written, in an interesting way. Marta thinks she kills him, didn't kill him. She thinks she kills him. She believes that, so she wants to make it right, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't true. So that's interesting. She's not even guilty, but she repents thinking she was. Thinks, exactly. <laughs> And Harlan, similarly, he didn't need to kill himself, but the reason he killed himself, it wasn't, it's, it's kind of a suicide, I mean, it technically is a suicide, but it wasn't a, I don't want to live anymore, I hate my life. He thought he was dying anyway. He thought he was dying anyway, and he did it to help Marta, ultimately. Right. That's what it was. Which is a gray area morally that I still don't think is biblically justifiable. And plus, like, he should yeah. have just seen if he had symptoms, like, wait a few more minutes. But for the purposes yes. of the film yeah, and right. the intricate plot web he's weaving i get it definitely and but it does get you to think it gets you to enter this world of well what they did matters less than what they believed Mm. so that's cool yeah i like that yeah yeah. but uh still too much (laughs) let's uh let's 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 break down the prodigal son thing okay we've referenced it a little bit but when when you get when you get the first twist that Ransom's the black sheep of the family. Nobody likes him. And you've got the detail that Harlan sees a lot of himself in Ransom. Hmm. I'm going, he's set, this is setting up a redemption story for Ransom. Hmm. He's, it'll, it'll be another way to humble this entitled family. That this idiot over here is actually more spiritually awake than any of them. That's where it seemed like it was going. And... I understand that Ryan Johnson wanted a twist to say, no, it was just another red herring. Got it. I get it. That's cool. But when you, when that's the thing, when you use that as the red herring, it just, I didn't like it. To put it simply, I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like, I don't like using the prodigal son as a red herring because that's like. You wanted to see that redemption. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, number one, because I thought, I mean, I think the movie wants you to believe that, number one. Although looking back, there are little clues uh, there definitely are little clues showing you that, no, that was not happening. That was never happening. The dogs are the biggest clue. The dogs. The dogs are a good judge of character. They yes. love Marta. They don't like him. Absolutely. That's a big one. And the other one is uh, when she comes clean and he, you think he's coming clean, he says, I want my share. Mm-hmm. And that's the big, that was one of the big red flags where I went, that doesn't make sense. Um, so, but using the prodigal son story, which is a beautiful story that, Every Christian, I think, holds close to their heart. Yeah. It's a great story of our relationship with Jesus and God the Father. That's become like a joke in this movie. Mm. I didn't like that. I, I really, that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because he, you know, it, it makes it sound like he has this born again moment where he says, I had I, a moment of clarity. I had a moment of clarity where for the first time I had to fend for myself. And I'm going, 
what a great, beautiful opportunity for God to come into your life. Mm. Didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, totally. So, I, I mean, I get it. I, I definitely get why he did it. But as an actual Christian, you know, I think non-believers probably wouldn't bat an eye at that stuff. And yeah. uh, It's like, oh, he was a wayward son and he stayed a wayward son. Right, 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 right. right. But when you see, because I didn't think about it the first couple times, but now that you're saying it, it's like you have the, the seeds of that story right. that um, get choked by the soil, so to speak. Yeah, and it's it's just, you know, that's such a central story to the Christian's life. It, it was tough to have that teased yeah. and then have it taken away. To have any sort of wholesome redemption teed up and then yes. buried. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. I'm going, I want to see that. That sounds great. But it didn't happen. Yeah. So I, that, that was sad. That's more of a, you know, I'm not really going to call it not Bible. I don't know. What do you think? Is it? I think it's not like theologically unsound to have a wayward son stay a wayward son. Right. But I still didn't like it. Yeah. I guess I just was so invested in the puzzle box of the movie that I didn't think about it because I was just into the mystery and the extra layer of twist was was cool to me. It's it's entertaining. And Marta's just such the central character. And I guess I had such a distrust of him still that I just never really, it never really crossed my mind because I'm viewing this all through her overwhelmed eyes and she gets vindicated. So in my mind, spiritually, we were golden. But I definitely, you know, I definitely relate to what you're saying and understand it now. And once again, anytime there is, there's the seeds of redemption and those scenes get recontextualized. You see like, oh, I have to fend for myself. Like I'm gonna, I gotta do some worse stuff. But Even though it makes sense in the internal logic of the movie, I definitely see where you're coming from. Of If you could tell a biblical story within that, it might be, there's so many layers going on right. here. You can only, you had to make sacrifices somewhere, but it would have been cool to see the wayward son come home. It's He's the black sheep. It's definitely set up yeah, um, definitely. in a way that I didn't see. And it's clearly there, like you're saying. Right. It would, have, it, it would be better if it just wasn't teased, I guess, mm-hmm. or if it was teased last or something like that. I, I, I wanted to talk about the ending a little bit where that image of Marta where now she, she's God now. At the she's standing above all of she's them. She's standing above all of them. She's in the, the Harlan position with his cup. She's inherited it all. And it, it ends on this ambiguous note where you don't really know what's going to happen. And, you know, you've got the words of Blanc. Um, you've got a good heart. You're a good person. Oh yeah, the the words "good person." I went, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just because uh, I, I think that I think that was the non-Christian Ryan Johnson revealing himself. I don't think a Christian would ever write that line. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's reasonable to believe that she will be kind to the family and help them and be a good steward of the money. And it's they definitely will, hinted. Definitely, definitely. I think that's a a reasonable belief. But it's also it's just it's got a strangeness to it where it's not just that she has the cup. My house, my rules, my coffee. It's like you said, she's above them. Mm. And it's like, I'm the queen now. I'm God now. It's just, that's that was it's that's the note that it ends on. The movie yeah. doesn't explain it, so I'm just left in this place of what? What's that? <laughs> what does that mean? Is she going to help them? Is she not going to help them? And I was reminded of, um, you, did you see the movie Encanto? The Disney movie? Yes, yes. Kind of similar. And uh, Encanto ends in, a, in this really cool place where... There's a house, and there's a family, and they're bickering. Kind of similar movie in a lot of ways. But at the end of that movie, remind me, I might be getting wrong, but the house is destroyed, Hmm. and people realize that it was never about the house. It was about the family. 
the spiritual house that we built, mm-hmm. the family and the community. Yeah. And I, that's awesome. And they're, they are rewarded with getting the house back. That's cool. I like that. This movie didn't do that. Yeah. And, but it was... It had such an opportunity to do that. Yep. The family's humbled and Marta is rewarded. And that's kind of where it ends. And she right. might give back. And it's it's a really funny, striking image to end on with the coffee. It is. It's, it's great, but it's also... And she drinks out of it too, right? Yeah. Because she goes, it's just like her accepting it. Yes, it's, it's, mine. <laughs> it's, my, it's mine now. I'm drinking it. And there are those moments, and maybe this is what people say when it's like an Eat the Rich film, where other people are like... When Walt comes up to her and is like, well, if this thing got out, you know, our lawyers could help you. And she's like, don't you mean my lawyers? Right, yeah. And it's funny. Right. And you kind of like stabbing the knife at them a little bit because yeah. part of you's like, they deserve it. But mm-hmm. ultimately, the Christian would have to say, like, no matter what they deserve, you're supposed to love them. So I'm glad they at least leave the hint that she probably is going, whether she's morally superior in this moment, like they've been humbled, they've been lowered. Right. Right. In in a spiritual sense, but that doesn't mean she can't love them and repair that relationship. Absolutely. Encanto is awesome, though, and we should talk about because I think that movie's about the destruction of the temple. Okay. Like yeah. that makes sense to me. There's like this house of the Lord that's destroyed, but then the spiritual house is rebuilt. Yeah, that's cool. It's really cool. Absolutely. But uh, it maybe what if it ended with her? She's up there, and she as she drinks the coffee, she feels for the first time in her heart pride. <laughs> I'm up here, and they're down there, and then she gets struck by lightning. <laughs> Or something like that. But then they go and help her. Oh. I don't know. Because there is that feeling of like, now that she has all this wealth, will the cycle repeat? But I think the movie, her character is so pure. Yes. And flawless, really, the whole movie, that I don't think that's the intent at all. I think you're supposed to think that she's going to do the right thing no matter what. I think that's fair. Uh, The movie did not show it. I wish it did. Because ending on the ambiguous note was just... I just wish I hadn't done that. A step away from a home run. Yeah, sure. definitely. Definitely. Uh, Speaking uh, of step away from a home run, I, this is not not biblical, but it's just interesting. I find it cool that Meg is one of the few members of the family that seems to care about Marta on a deeper level. Yeah. And she does kind of turn her back on her a little bit. She does the phone call with the whole family and reveals information about Marta's family she wasn't supposed to. She repents, though. She repents. Big time. Um, she repents. She asks for forgiveness. And it's awesome. Forgiven, yeah. It's this biblical moment where there's mutual edification and forgiveness. I'm so glad that moment's there. But after that, she's like, man, I need another smoke. <laughs> and you just see, like, so clearly, you talked earlier about the anxieties and not having to worry. Here is a character who's literally defined the whole movie by so much anxiety, and her only coping mechanism is drugs. Mm-hmm. And continually, even after her repentance, the only way she can relax is smoking. Right. And it's like, it's it's cool, but it's also so sad. It's like, yeah. there's more for you. Right. There's more for you than that toast. Maybe it's a Roman 7, uh, you know, I do the things I don't want to do. Look, I just <laughs> need a cigarette. I know God's there, but I just need a cigarette right now. I, I just need a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> just the flesh. That's all it is. That's true. And nobody's perfect, but it was, it was an interesting note that, like, she gets redeemed, and then that's still the defining part of her character. It was right. something. Yeah, that's true. It's, uh, yeah, there's just a few things in this movie that... Even though they're still human, I, I believe Ryan Johnson went to Sunday school. <laughs> I believe that strongly, but by the end, I'm going. You haven't read the Bible in a while. <laughs> That's what I think. I so, think, couple, just a couple things to be aware of. Yeah, really strong spiritual stuff. A couple things that are worth taking note of, and one thing that, once again, I I don't think is in any way a detractor from what we've talked about, but is something to be aware of. 
is just the the spiritual reality that she had like we've talked about before she had an earthly inheritance and it was kind of based in the condition of her heart of her being like we said a good person that she was kind she was loving and it is based in repentance and a love of the father but it's also based in the fact that she's good and they weren't Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just the encouraging knowledge that our inheritance is totally based on grace as a gift and there still is the aspect that like the old testament if you sow corn you're going to reap corn Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you sow discord you're going to get discord if you sow love you're going to get love if you give you're going to be given to so like all that's definitely true and that part of inheritance is highlighted in the film really heavily but just the fact that inheriting salvation inheriting heaven this part the part that was not given to the pharisees that was given to the gentiles that we made that parallel and because we've made that parallel i feel it important to just say that that is something that we could not earn by being a good person mm-hmm. absolutely and it's it's something that yeah the ultimately the film hints at a spiritual understanding, but doesn't quite stick that landing mm. with the image of her being above them at the end. Um, You're still in a temporal reality. Yeah. There, there. And still, yeah, still a material world as well. Uh, but that's okay. We got we got a sequel coming. So yep. we'll see. Maybe Ryan Johnson read the Bible <laughs> in the past couple of years. Strong, fun, twisty movie. I just want more mysteries like this. They don't come around often enough. No, they don't. Um, I mean, I don't, I can't think of any others. Let alone with sure. this sense of humor. I have not laughed this much in a theater in a long time. He he was, like I said, he's in his element, and it, it was really funny. There's something about it clicked with Ryan Johnson's sensibilities. I'm looking forward to the next one, absolutely. That lens trick at the end, too, when the final twisting of the knife, literally and metaphorically, of... Chris Evans grabs the knife off of the chair that you've seen the whole time and it does this crazy zoom lens thing of him mm-hmm. like reaching and the whole world's like twisting and slowing down and then it's like one of those little toy knives knife. that slides in and out and he's like there's a line about that too Harlan says you know I didn't know the difference between a the real thing and a prop knife mm. huh that reminds me of one of the other final lines that Blanc says, and I think this is more in the positive category, but he says that the reason she came out on top, the reason you won, earlier they refer to Harlan as playing a game, mm-hmm. like his life was a game, and he's like, Marta, you did not play the game Harlan's way. You won because you played it your way, and your way was being a kind-hearted person. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone else is out for themselves, they're playing this game of life, and when we just follow the rules of christ your life is going to go well that's basically what he said (laughs) basically what he said like if if you go through life with the right motives and a good heart and you don't play the way everyone else plays they'll get their ends their way and you'll get your ends your way follow follow jesus yep follow jesus nothing else that'll that'll do it she did that she's got a little cross i'm sure it was that's probably what's in her mind every time she lies Hmm. my cross my statue of mary i gotta go repent now yeah that's cool well let's wrap it up with some application i this is what i thought of during our discussion i was coming in cold with application 
because I forgot about it like I always do. But I mean, basically, it's it's pretty simple, but we've got to humble ourselves. Don't feel entitled. James 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If you don't humble yourself, humble yourself, God will. So why don't you just go ahead and do it? <laughs> it's going to be better if you humble yourself now rather than when... It, sorry, I won't, I won't say better. What will happen will be what God wanted to happen. But for your own good, humble yourself. Don't be like the Thornbees. That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, I hinted to it right before we went into application, but that quote of the kind of game that she's playing, the kind of way she's going to go through life. I think all of us, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you know, making you more generous and more loving and giving and participate in that process. You know, like try to seek God and to have more of his heart and like more of him and less of us. Because when you live with that kind of heart, you know, whether it's in the next life with treasures in heaven or whether it's treasures in this life, however that works out, it's gonna go, you know, there's the verse that's often misquoted, but in Romans that thing, all things will work together for the good of those called according to God's purpose who love God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you are pursuing God and his plan for your life and trying to have his heart, then things are going to go well with you. And that is an encouraging thing. Like if you steward things well, if you love people, if you play the game that way, then the game's going to end up good. Right. Even if it doesn't seem that way mm-hmm. right now. Yep. Even if it seems like you've just murdered an old man. <laughs> in the end, you actually are innocent of any wrongdoing. Right. In the end. In Psalm 37, it says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Mm-hmm. She's vindicated, she gets a reward, and she committed her way to the Lord. That's good. And he it will. ended well for her. He will. He will. That's a promise. Mm-hmm. That's good. God keeps his promises. The only, he's the only one who keeps his promises. Yep, the only <laughs> one that, that truly can. Yeah. Cool, good stuff. I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed this conversation. We got to go see a Glass Onion. Yep. We'll talk about The Glass Onion. When does that come out? Uh, supposedly later this year. We'll see if that happens, but it's a Netflix release. Okay. Well, we'll watch it, and hopefully we'll be back yeah. with more more Bible thoughts. And next time on Directed <laughs> by God. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one. Bye.